Hello and welcome to the Oxygen Addict Podcast. We're brought to you every week by our sponsors, PrecisionFuelAndHydration.com. Personalize your fueling and hydration strategy so you can perform at your best. With 15% off your first order of electrolytes and carbohydrate fuel with code OA23 at PrecisionFuelAndHydration.com. Note that code has changed for the new year. That code again is OA23. So welcome to the show, everybody. I'm your host, Coach Rob Wilby, and every week I bring you an episode of this podcast to help motivate and inspire you on your endurance journey. This week, I've managed to secure an interview with Sam Laidlow. Sam finished second at the Ironman World Championships out in Kona this year. Um, long-time listeners of the show will know we had Sam on a few years ago now, um, after his amazing debut performance winning the Lakesman Iron Distance Triathlon up in the Lake District in the UK. We were lucky enough to get hooked up with his his phone number and he, he came on. I think we were the first podcast that he ever did, actually. And, and at the end of that show, I said to Sam, you've got to promise that you come back on when you podium at Kona. And when we were, we were having a laugh and a chat before the show, he said you said I was going to podium at Kona and, and I did. And I was like, oh yeah, that's awesome. So it's really great to get Sam on. Obviously in the, the three intervening years since then, a lot has happened for Sam. He's uh, He has developed into an athlete and we get to talk all about Kona. We get to talk about the controversies of the Collins Cup this year. We get to talk about his race Ironman UK where he had a great battle with Joe Skipper and unfortunately... Uh, he got beaten by Joe on that day, but we learn all about what he's learned along the journey. So there's a there's a lot to pick up about. The, the big takeaway from this is Sam is still a very young athlete; he's in his early twenties still. But what's most interesting and notable here is growing up in France, where he did amongst the um, the French Grand Prix scene. Sam has never seen himself as someone who wins races. He, you know, he talks quite openly about how he went to all these Grand Prix races and would just get his backside handed to him. And he, and he never really felt of himself as being, you know, I, I was just one of the guys is one of the phrases he uses. At some point. I, knew, I knew I was good, but I was never someone who was winning races. Um, and so his transition to the long distance racing and to really establish himself the way he has and to finish second on debut in Kona is absolutely amazing. So I think it just goes to show you never know. You never know what breakthrough might just be around the corner. You never know what hard work and perseverance might bring for you. And that was the takeaway message of all of this for me. It's great to see him get the early success. It's great to hear him reflect on some of the, frankly, some of the mistakes he made along the way, the, the stuff that happened at the Collins Cup with his interactions with the athletes that he was racing there. And he talks very honestly and very openly about that. So yeah, I really look forward to uh, bringing you that interview a little bit later on. So first up, I just want to wish you all a very happy new year. I hope that 2023 is a great year for you. We've got tons of exciting stuff planned for this year and I hope you have as well. It really feels as though 2022 in some ways was the was the dead man's bounce after COVID and 2023 is everyone seems to be coming out, coming out and saying, you know, 2022 was rubbish let's make 2023 a great one we've got tons of plans for team oxygen addict we're expanding personally as a business away from just coaching triathlon as i've talked of before away from just coaching you know middle and long distance triathlon was what we originally set out our store to do and over time our athletes have they're on like a natural progression journey it feels like they do two three maybe four seasons of trying to find the ultimate performance at 70.3 or Ironman and then they start to look around and say 
well, you know what, this season I'm, I'm not going to do Ironman, but I am going to try and do an ultra distance run or focus on a marathon or do swim runs or do gravel rides or do sportives. And so in the background, what I've been doing as a coach is essentially developing training plans for all of these events for athletes as they as they need them. We sat down as a company, me and Andy and Chris, and, and had a good chat about this. And we said, we want to we want to react to this where we feel almost like where we feel athletes are going, where athletes' interests are drawn. And because we've essentially been coaching ultra-distance athletes, swim runners, gravel riders, whoever, for three years now at this point, we are we're kind of setting our stall out officially in the early months of this year as you know, this is what we can do for people. So if you're out there and you are looking for coaching for those events that are not just triathlon, and it might be that you've still think of yourself as a triathlete who's having a year of running ultras or, you know, whatever that is. We want to offer that service. We've got a really great infrastructure for coaching here. We've got really great training plans for much more than just triathlon. So we want to sort of our external messaging to reflect that really too everybody who's out there as well so if you're out there and you're listening and you're looking for a i don't know a training plan for an ultra or whatever please get in touch we've got a link in the show notes the easiest way to go about this because it's always really hard to get a feel for stuff through through websites isn't it just schedule a call with me there's a link in the show notes to do that and we can just have a chat no obligation and find out what your goals are and how we can best help you out going into the new year um as well as that, we are also doubling down on our triathlon coaching, ironically. So as well as broadening out, we're also zooming in on what we do as well. We are going to be collaborating really closely with the organisers of Ironman UK this year and really helping their athletes prepare specifically for the demands of that course. As a lot of you know, I live less than half an hour's drive away from the Ironman UK course at Bolton and have ridden it I don't know how many hundred times over the years I took part in the first event that was there actually I was reflecting on this I was it was one of the years I was entered into Challenge Roth when it was announced that Ironman UK was moving to Bolton and I thought I can't miss the chance to race Ironman UK at the time it was moving around locations seemingly every year and I thought it might only be here for, for this one year. I've got to race it the year it's here. So I cancelled out of Ironman uh, from Challenge Roth and did Ironman Bolton that year, which was 20, well, I'm going to say 2009, I think it was now looking back. It's a long time ago. Um, and luckily, Ironman UK found its new spiritual home in Bolton. It's It's been an event that's been embraced by the, the communities. It's been embraced certainly by the, the triathlon club communities. Anyone who's raced it will know local triathlon clubs take over areas of that course there's <laughs> there's hills where people are dressed as umpalumpas and hills where people are dressed as uh, i don't know people from a church in some places there's a whole area where the people from lancaster tri club take over and a whole area where nuts for tri club take over and a whole area where rivington tri club and bolton tri club take over the support's absolutely fantastic and Athletes who've come back from doing that have said, do you know what? I didn't know what to expect to in Bolton, but actually the support there all the way around the course was was better in places than when I raced, you know, Germany or Austria or whatever. So we're really proud to be collaborating with Ironman UK and to be supporting the athletes. We'll be delivering some online training sessions about how to best prepare yourself for the athletes who are entered into those events. Um and we're also doing some stuff on Instagram, some, if you like, some video coaching stuff that will hopefully open up that 
world of coaching for athletes who aren't coached and help them really prepare well for the unique demands of Bolton and and have a really good day. Because what I really care about at the end of the day is seeing people cross that finish line. And if people decide they want to be coached by us as well, fantastic, more the better. But I'm more concerned that people you know, don't get bad coaching advice, get advice that's really going to help them make the most of the limited training time and is not going to put them at risk of illness and injury. That's like the, the two, two of the four horsemen of the triathlon apocalypse right there. Um, so if you can avoid killing yourself in training, that's a really big bonus. So if you are looking for coaching for this year, we've got a limited number of slots to uh, Team Oxygen Addicts have just opened up. Every year, our two biggest months are September and January, when we have the biggest amount of turnover of members when annual memberships expire. Um, so we've got a number of athletes have told me that they're going to be finishing their coaching packages. Potentially, there's up to about 10 or 12 slots going to become available, depending on whether people decide they're going to stay with us or not. So like I said, if you're interested, there's a link in the show notes. You can book straight through, talk to me or Andy or Chris and we'll have a chat with you and see how we can best help you out with your triathlon goals. Okay, before we go to this week's interview with Sam, I just want to give a shout out to our sponsors, precisionfuelandhydration.com. You'll have heard at the top of the show, there's a new code. The code for 15% off your first order of electrolytes and carbohydrate fuel is OA23. Now we're into 2023. If you've not used their website before, there's a ton of information there. It's more of an educational website than it is anything else. There's the free fuel and hydration planning tool you can use on the website to give you a personalized strategy for your next race and for training. The app will basically help you understand your own needs in terms of your carbohydrate intake, your electrolyte intake and your fluid intake. So you can refine your own strategy for training and your own strategy that you can take forward into racing and competition as well. You can also book a free one-to-one video consultation with PFNH's athlete support team. So 20 minutes over video for free with the with the, you know, the world's leading experts. It is a no-brainer. There's such a good bunch of people. I've been working with them since the very first year of the podcast when I had a really good chat with Andy, ironically, at Ironman UK back in the day when they were doing some sweat testing there. Um And I just think they're a great bunch of guys and it's awesome to see their brand growing as much as it is. Um, A lot of you will have seen if you watch the PTO races, their banners were everywhere. You probably have seen them in the background out in Kona and out at the 70.3 World Champs as well, supporting athletes out there. So, yeah, exciting stuff. And we've got some exciting stuff planned with PFNH for the for the back end of 2023 as well. I'm not going to say any more about it for now, but I'm super excited about our plans with them. All right. So listen, without any further ado, I hope you have a fantastic 2023. I hope you've got yourself through the Christmas and the new year period. Just one little piece of advice for you, really. I'll be talking with my team about this later this evening when we do our team call. If you have picked up any kind of bug, any kind of illness, even if you're just completely wiped out by the by the festivities of Christmas and New Year. I don't think we as a society sometimes reflect and understand how much downtime and how much extra rest and recovery we need during the winter. And at, at the time of the, the winter solstice, when we should be curling up in a cave and sort of hibernating, we have massive parties and we stay up late. So if you run down, if you've been ill... Don't force the return to training. If you've got a training plan in place, that's fine. But no plan survives first contact with the athlete. Let that plan slide. Adapt it. Don't be afraid to change it. If you've been sick at all, 
you need to be completely well again and have two more extra days of rest before you get yourself into training. It doesn't matter whether this week is test week on your training plan. You can move those tests back a week. Make sure you give yourself ample time to recover from any illnesses and overtiredness and really feel as though you're fully raring and ready to go and get yourself back into shape before you start hitting especially any high intensity sessions. So really make sure you're ready for that. And if you need extra rest, take it best thing you can do for yourself at this time of year is get yourself to bed an hour earlier than you would do usually. So with all of that said, sit yourself back, put your headphones in, relax and listen to the story of Sam Laidlow taking himself from, you know, being a kid training in France all the way through to finishing second place at the Ironman World Championships in Kona on debut. Hope this motivates and inspires you. Here we go with Sam Laidlow. It's uh, it's fantastic to get a chance to get you on and say congratulations for your amazing race at the Ironman World Championships. First up, congratulations! I was sitting here like proper fanboying, jumping up and down in front of the computer, watching watching you there. So, firstly, has it sunk in yet? Uh, yeah, it's def- definitely sunk in. Um, I think there was a few moments where I was just kind of sat with my family here in my small small little town in the south of France, thinking. Yeah, it's pretty decent what we've achieved, and um, no, it was it was nice, and uh, no, it's nice to be back uh, back on a chat with you. And it was uh, it's been it's been a little bit of a journey since uh, three yeah three and a half years ago it must have been since the Lakesman, but it was my first ever podcast, so um, yeah, I felt like I had to come back on. Oh, I really appreciate that. Thank you. And I know the listeners will appreciate it as well. I had tons of requests from people saying, get get Sam back on. Because, of course, people who listen along get to hear the stories along the way. And at the time, Lakesman 2019, would it have been? I'm guessing. Yeah, I, have, I was 20, I think. I was 20, yeah. Yeah. And 2020 was the COVID year, wasn't it? So it must have been then. Yeah, 2019, yeah, I think. So it goes from being like this rock star living in France who turns up and destroys the course record at, at Lakesman. Honestly, man, I had friends texting me going, this kid's just run. What was it you ran at, at Lakesman? Mid 240s, was it? 241 or something, yeah. And that was actually yeah. was still one of my best marathons until Kona. It was kind of the only one where I hadn't like properly blown up. So, um, I mean, Lakesman, yeah, I said it on the on the first show. It was it was a bit short marathon. It was probably missing like six, seven minutes. So it was more like a 247, if you ask me. But um yeah, it was it was a good solid run, especially for that for yeah how young I was. I was twenty years old, so um, I was that was my first kind of breakthrough race in in Ironman, thinking actually yeah I could I could do something here. And um, but I, I until Kona I'd never really backed up a decent run. Um, I'd always blown up in the last kind of ten k. Um, for most of the British followers, they probably saw the battle between me and Joe in in Bolton, and I completely. I mean, I was I had a 10 minute lead on him with about 10K to go and everybody was just saying, oh, you should have left him a chance and blah, blah, blah. It's too easy. And next minute I'm rolling on the floor, like seeing stars. And yeah, I had to walk walk to the finish line and finished second just uh, about 10 minutes behind him in the end. Yeah, yeah you had a you had the real full get your money's worth experience. I mean, I remember standing on course that day and cheering you on and saying to Andy, my my business partner, I just got it wrapped up. This is this is yeah. amazing. And then it just goes to show, doesn't it, how how quickly things can change, even at the very top of the sport. Um yeah. listen, I want to come back to that though. Let's let's kick off with talking about Kona because like in terms of boys' own or girls' own stories of of dreaming how your first performance at Kona will be, 
there's really only one position better that that could have gone for you. But to go out and perform so well, to be at the front of the race all day and to really only get caught right at the very tail by arguably one of the, the greatest athletes in the sport at the moment was was just mind-blowing. So first, talk us through talk us through your time in Hawaii. I know I remember reading a couple of days before the race, you had an amazing swim at the Hawala practice swim, although yeah. without didn't an official... Yeah, didn't go down to all. So what happened there then? You didn't have you didn't have an official yeah, start and it was a you jumped a in. Um I didn't have a slot and I'd asked a few other pros. I was I think I was one day late trying to register or something because I didn't even know it was something that you had to register. Uh and um yeah, I was one day late, sent them an email and the Ironman said, No, sorry, we've got no more no more spots left. So they weren't even willing to like give I don't know, find an extra slot or I was still willing to pay and they basically said no, which I mean, I think it's a bit, it's a bit of an error if you ask me, like why, like they're just, uh, I don't know, like having an, they should at least invite the pros so then age groupers get to swim with the pros and it's all, it's all nice. But and yeah, here I was willing to pay. And anyway, a few pro, other pros said, oh, well, I'm going to do it anyway without a, without an official, um, what do you call it, chip. And um, yeah, so I, I just showed up and and swam and yeah, I mean, the, the only problem is the other pros didn't, didn't win the thing. So, um, it was, uh, <laughs> Yeah, it didn't, it didn't go down. Yeah, it's kind of hard to hide that, isn't it, when you don't have the chip on when you win the overall thing. What was your time in that when you did the just flat-out oh, swim? That's, that's a great question. I think it was 47 something. I, I don't know. Uh, there was no official. I, I didn't have a watch. And, yeah, um, I just wanted to do a good session, really. And, um, yeah, and yeah, that went great. And then I was I was quite confident. Um, I was really confident with my biking and running. I'd just come back from Dallas. Uh, so, kind of the heat of that adaptation started there in Dallas it was like twice as hot it felt twice as hot as Kona to be honest like you just couldn't walk outside and like the actual race race day in Dallas and and the women's race especially it was it was crazy hot and um during the race I had I had a decent like I came off fifth of the bike and ran up to fourth which um these PTO races they're like super dense and super fast and I felt like I couldn't go much faster but I I just had another kind of I felt like I'd keep going forever at this kind of pace and um yeah, so I was I was quite confident in my running, and then I kind of put that into into play. And I I'd I'd been really consistent in my running. I think between Dallas and Kona, I'd ran something like seventeen days in a row, uh, which for me is is quite a lot. And I, I knew that when I run consistently, I can get I can get good. And um, but yeah, then when it comes to the race itself, I mean, I, I literally went in with very little expectation. I knew I knew I wanted a race at the front. Uh, that's what I do in with every race. But um, I'd heard so many stories of people going in with such high expectations and having a terrible race that uh yeah I think I, I I said something on the Bob Babbitt interview like just saying I've got I've got a lot to learn and nothing to lose really you know if I have a shit day I have a shit day and nobody's nobody's waiting for me to win this race so um it's a very it's a very nice situation to be in I think and that certainly comes into play on on the result because not many people came in with that uh yeah I mean the, yeah not many people come in or it's, it probably will never happen to me again coming into a race with no expectations you know so um yeah I, I was grateful for that and now I feel like it's a new challenge for me uh coming into races kind of with people expecting you to to get results yeah do you do you thrive more or less do you think with an expectation of public performance did it suit you to be under the radar or are you kind of relishing the idea of because there's no question like you say you're never going to be the unknown guy again having finished second on debut in Kona yeah um i've in the past I've, I've i wouldn't say i've thrived more one or the other i think when i 
when I put pressure on myself to perform, then sometimes it doesn't go great. But I don't, I don't really, I don't really see other people's pressure as a big thing for me. I, I, re, I genuinely feel like it's more of a privilege. And I know they say like pressure is a privilege or whatever, but that's generally how I feel. Like I feel when, um, like the more, the bigger the team I have around me, like the, the more people I have to disappoint, and I just won't disappoint them. You know, I just won't. It's not even. An, I won't. I won't think when you when I'm just on my own. And like I've never really done this sport for me. I felt um, I've always done it to almost. It's almost like originally I think it was to kind of thank my parents for everything that they've invested in me. But it's kind of got become bigger than that. And now I'm in. I have this big team around me, and the team's getting bigger and bigger. And then you have fans, etc. And I, yeah, I just I I don't leave myself the option but to not give my best, you know. And I think that's that's a good thing for me. So generally, the bigger the fan base I have, the more I, I feel like I, I I perform. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, right. So race day then you had a, a storming swim, but from what I've heard in interviews, the swim was quite, was it quite currenty that day? Did you have a big sort of current and in, into uh, the current yeah, on the there, way out? There was no swell when you, you, so you don't really feel the current as such. Um, but there was definitely a current coming in and then we had it tell on the way back. And um, yeah, my, my dad uh, kind of made a strategic error to say you should go hard out on the, and he'll admit that he said, that's the only error I made. And, because I mean, yeah, I should I should be putting at least three, four, five minutes into into guys like Gustav and, and Christian in the swim, and yeah, it didn't happen. So I kind of burnt all my matches on the way out, trying to trying to string it out. Um, but it just wasn't the right scenario to string people out because we were it was kind of pushing me and like creates like an, on a bike you don't do a breakaway when there's a headwind. And um, yeah, so then I just kind of sat in and, and waited and. Yeah, I mean, once you're in the feet, it feels it feels a lot easier. And this is this is the thing as well in Kona. It's that it's not a very technical swim course. It's just straight out and back. So lots of these PTO races where there's lots of boys and stuff that it kind of naturally gets dispersed because you can't every time you come in or out of a boy like the the the, the masses kind of get slowed down. But here there's such a long line of people that if you're tenth in line, you're swimming like much much easier, much slower than the guy who's on the front and. Um, so it's very difficult to separate separate like the, the the weak swimmers from the from the good swimmers I find and and you see it in Kona because there's so many big packs you know there'll be a group of 10 15 guys come out and then another group of 10 15 guys and then like in other races in the PTO it's just like small groups of three four people coming out every 20 30 seconds and yeah so um it's not an ideal course to get away but um yeah I'm going to I'm going to work at it and make sure that yeah, my dream scenario is to just go away from the from the word go and, and and then never see me again. You know, I really that's what I've always wanted to do, and that's what I've attempted to do already in Bolton and every, every race I've done. I just haven't got to a level where I didn't have the strength or the maturity to keep it up, and this was the first time where, well, yeah, I didn't blow up, and uh, it was the right day to do so. So, what's your plan before the race? Then you said you, you chatted with your dad and came up with a kind of a kind of race plan. Was it to get off the front and be on your own all day? um not no I mean I had to make the front pack and make it I, the thing with me is I always want to make the race difficult you know I don't running is never going to going to be my strength um I mean I, I generally believe now that I can be like amongst the best runners but it's never going to be the like at the moment I came out first to swim so I had the fight well I mean jointly with other guys but so we could say we could argue that I'm the best swimmer I could argue that I'm the best cyclist but we can't argue that I'm the best runner at all you know I had the fifth fifth fastest run split and um so i need to make the race hard so that when people do get to the run they're not going to run pbs you know i just have to use my strengths and use my cards and um so i guess yeah we never go in with a set strategy there's so many millions of scenarios 
Um, but yeah, generally I found that even in these PTO races and stuff, like on paper, I shouldn't beat some of these guys because I, I run much slower than them, especially over that kind of 10, 15K distance. But um, yeah, I, may, I try and make the race so hard that in the end, nobody's running fast. And that's exactly what, what happened in, in Dallas three or four weeks prior was that we were all running at like 340, 350 kilometer pace, like which is Ironman pace for us um but on a on a 16k run and um yeah that's just that's just how i have to race really more than anything but no there was no no stress set strategy obviously there's there's limits like we say okay you might try and surge on the bike for you might try and do 360 watts for i don't know five minutes but then if it's not getting anywhere then slow back down and keep it back to your wattage yeah but um mm. I just felt, yeah, on, on, on the bike, so I came out of transition, I was, I think, like 19th or right at the back of this first pack because I'd taken time to put my, my aero socks on and um, coming coming up, uh, what is it, What's it? Is it? yeah, Pilar, before, just before going down Polani, we, um, there was like 19 guys all in line, I was right at the back, and I was thinking, like, either I need to, I, like, there needs to be somebody who does something, you know, to make, to split this race up, otherwise it's just going to come down to the run. And so I just committed straight away, really. Um, Max Newman had a little bit of a gap. He'd obviously set, up, set off quite hard. So I caught him up after about 5, 6K and said, all right, let's get going. And, um, yeah, I mean, he held on, but um, he didn't. He definitely didn't contribute to making that gap any bigger. Um, much to my delight, not. <laughs> and um, <laughs> yeah, so I, had a, I, had a, I had a few sour words to him on the bike. And, um, yeah, I... I just kept riding my wattage and, and actually in hindsight so during this moment where i attacked i thought god this is this is stupid here i go again like i've got another i've got another six and a half hours of racing and i'm already going full gas i thought this is this is another stupid idea and um but actually what i found in the end once i'd finished trying to surge max to try and get him off the wheel uh i found that actually what happened is i actually had a much more constant power on the way out because the other guys were kind of like trying to split the packs up and trying to get from one pack to another and just slingshotting and doing big surges and then recovering. And so I actually, I, I now in hindsight, I realized that I was much more constant and that's also a good thing off being able to race at the front. And in fact, if, 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 and when next year I, I, I get that two or three minute lead out of the swim, I can just set off straight away into my zone. You know, there's no, there doesn't have to be these first 10 minutes, which were crazy. You know, I mean, I can, I could tell you, I can maybe find the numbers of the first, first um the first few 10 minutes or like the peaks you know on one minute two minutes and stuff but for for an Ironman they were they were they were pretty crazy yeah um I'll, I'll, what I'll do is I'll send them to you and you can put them in your in your your description there yeah that'd be really cool thank you so I've heard you talk before about how the sort of the rolling nature of the course out at Kona you felt like it really suited you there's there's a there's a real art to riding a bike and, and riding with the terrain and knowing where to lay the power down like a bike racer would do rather than, I don't know, I don't want to pick on someone, but like your Lionel Sanders kind of character who just puts the power down and rides like he's on Zwift all the time. So do you believe that's a, a big contributing factor to your success on the Kona course and your ability to sort of feel the, feel the road and environment as much as put the power down? Yeah, definitely. Um, as you said, um, cycling is kind of kind of an art, and um, it's just and that there's you have good days and, and bad days, and there's no question about it. I was on a good day, you know. There's you just and even looking back and even the feedback during the race, everybody was just saying how fluid and how neat I was, and and it, and it's true. I mean, everything looks super dialed, and uh, it looks like 
it definitely doesn't look like I got on that bike in that position like seven days prior to the race for the first time. But um, no, um, definitely like knowing I, I, and I've heard Camworth say this before, you know, you need to ride fast at the end of the day. And it's it's not about putting the most power out. It's about putting the least power out as possible. And sometimes on these big rollers, how they're on Kona, because in Kona is actually very little, just flat. You know, it's, it's, it's quite often just like very slightly uphill, very slightly downhill. But there's also these kind of short lumps and sometimes it might be worth putting 50 watts more to hold the speed and get over to the top, you know, rather than spending more time on that slow bit. Um, yeah. So I think that's definitely a factor. Um, and then also I just kind of felt, so we clearly had good conditions because we, that's why, I mean, I think three of us went, me, Leon and, and Cam all broke Cam's previous record. Um, but uh, yeah, we had no wind on the way out and then on the way back when normally it gets more difficult here, we had a tailwind and um, me being a slightly bigger guy than some of the others, uh, I kind of felt like the, the tailwind kind of favoured me more because it kind of becomes less, when you're going, when you're going at such high speed, um, so let's, I average like 315, 320 watts on the bike. Let's say Gustav, who's got, who's like really aero and stuff, he probably averaged 280. I don't know, I haven't asked him, but let's say he averaged 280. When we're both going at um, 35 or 40 kilometers an hour on the way out, or let's say 40, um, there's going to, like he has to push, the, the, he gets more advantage from from them. There'll be, there'll be more difference to go at the same speed with his watts. But when we go fast on the way back, I really feel like that me gaining the, the power and I've got momentum. Once I got the momentum going, uh, he would also have to push almost them kind of watts, you know, to go at my speed. So that's where the, the difference really came. And yeah, so, but they actually caught me up on the way out. We turned around um, at the 90K mark and we were, there was me, Christian, Gustav um, and Magnus. But Magnus was really the driving force who brought them back. Um, and in my head, I knew that Magnus um, was the strongest. I'd, I'd been lucky enough to race him in in Dallas. Uh, sorry, not in Dallas, in Texas, which is, yeah, uh, in Texas at the start of the year, just before the Ironman World Champs in St. George. And he didn't qualify for St. George. So nobody had kind of raced Magnus. And hey, I, I picked him as a favorite for Roth like, over Jan straight away because I'd seen how he raced in um in Texas and this guy's just just an animal on I I generally think he didn't have a great day um on the bike in Kona um I think he ran probably to his level but normally I think he's he's probably stronger than that and um yeah so I was just kind of expecting him to yeah expecting him to once we once he caught me up just kind of go to the front and absolutely smash the, the field and um well actually so there was a short period of time when Magnus took a turn at the front and he like I noticed a huge difference in my wattage, even staying at the staying at the required distance, you know. So I, I generally felt like all these guys behind had a big advantage. Um, and I know people are gonna like I've heard people argue that there's motos and stuff, but believe me, like when you're out out front on your own, it's a lot, lot harder than when there's ten guys or five guys or even one guy in front of you. Um, so yeah, I, I, and I mean I'm I'm one of the only guys to share my share my my data on on Strava and stuff and because I, I literally have nothing to hide and I don't think there was any motos involved I would like to see if there was anybody else who did 320 watts and was as dialed and can ride the, the road and stuff like that so um yeah mm. that's just uh that's just my, my thought on anybody who said that the, there were too many motorbikes involved but um yeah well, let me like, let me just interject there and ask you about this yeah. for a minute because in the course of my research for this I was going through the usual places reading slow twitch forums and, and people's opinions on this yeah. what were your thoughts after the race when 
when you read the stuff that people were were writing, which was essentially Sam's riding in the middle of the road to get the advantage from the motos. Yeah. There were other there were other pros who've been interviewed and not named names, but said, you know, the motos play a huge, huge part in the race, whether it's the guys at the front or the packs, there's just too many motos on the road. Firstly, what's your reaction to the sort of the keyboard warriors putting your yeah, bike split down to the motos on the road? Yeah, to be honest, off the cut, the thing is I got my I got my dose of uh I got my my yearly dose of keyboard warriors after Collins Cup, so I didn't really take much notice after after Kona. But um yeah, I think well first of all there was part and this is this is there was part of me who who misunderstood the rules on the briefing they said I like and I wasn't even think I wasn't even thinking about it, but they said you need to ride on, on they said something like you need to ride on the right side of the road so that if anybody overtakes you, like you you're not you're not blocking them effectively. And in my head, I was just like, well, there's, there's no, there's nobody that's fucking coming past me right now, you know, so I can ride wherever I want, you know, I've got the road to myself. Um, and the motorbike, so they have their own lane in, in, in Kona. And like, it's, it's quite a known thing on, re- on most studies and stuff. But if you have the motorbike next to you, it's actually slower, you know, you get, you can get the turbulence and, it, and it's slower. So if I was to choose and do it, I was just the only, the, the only reason I was riding to the left was if, I don't know, the road was a bit smoother or if the court, if it's obviously the inside line or something like that, but generally riding next to a motorbike, there's, there's, there's no advantage. If it's not, there's a disadvantage. So um, that's my opinion on, on that. Um, what, what normally happens I've found is when there's two or three guys and often it happens with more famous, more, more famous guys is that the motorbike will all, all, always follow a, a bigger name, you know, somebody who's already won it. So what, what happened is a motorbike will be around Patrick Langer or will be around a Sebastian Keenley, and it doesn't necessarily advantage them, but it will advantage the guy who's behind. Because let's say you've got you've got a bike, you've got so you've got you've got Patrick Langer, and then you've got this bike that's slightly behind, and then another like three or four meters behind him is the motorbike, and this motorbike's so focused on filming this guy that he's not really checking what's happening here, and that that happens quite a lot. And I've seen it a lot in races, but um, yeah, I think already in Kona, it's quite good that the motorbikes have a separate lane. That's already a must in my eyes. It kind of it, it eliminates a lot. But for me, 12 meters or 10 meters is, is just not enough. You know, even even in these PTO races, we have to ride at 20 meters and still the rules aren't necessarily respected. And there's just not enough people out on course to to make sure that the rules are applied. And um, yeah, but um, I mean, no, I've keyboard I, I don't care about keyboard warriors yeah i mean as i said i'm the, i'm one of the only guys who shares my data and um i remember like i think when Jan won or something he got asked about cam worst numbers or something and he said that he said something like nobody nobody does 300 watts in kona you know and i did i did i did 320 so like to go to, to and my position is is much much better much dialed much more dialed than a lot of the guys and um yeah so i, I mean yeah, i've got nothing to i've got nothing against them they can think what they want to be honest sound you sound like a very a very resilient and mature mindset to that sort of thing that it doesn't it doesn't bother you it's water off a duck's back I think yeah, quite, be... um, the collins cup was definitely um i definitely learned a lot there yeah there's so many people that hated me after the collins cup and loved me after Kona. So it just shows like how at the end of the day people who make that kind of assumption like i don't really i don't really want them to be be my fans you know people who like me like me who who for, for who i am and, I, and I've always been one to, I think I have always preferred people to love me or hate me. You know, I don't really, I, if you, when somebody asks, well, what do you think about Sam Laidlow? I don't want them to just sit on the fence and say, nah. you know, there's loads of, 
There's loads of athletes who aren't necessarily characters, I feel, who don't show their, their, their true selves. And also, coming back to the Collins Cup, this was just the Collins Cup. We get paid to go. You know, we don't get paid to get results. We get paid to go whether we come first or last. So in my eyes, it's a show, you know, and it's to get people to watch the sport. And that's how I took it, you know, and I just took it lightly. And so the same the the fact that that kind of um, banter that I was putting in, that whatever the outcome is, I also take it that way. You know, I mean, yes, and it affected me, but also grew a lot from that and just realized that actually it what and you notice it with everybody like the six, when you get success not saying that my cousin's cup was a success definitely wasn't but um when you do get success there's always people always attack you you know even if you're the greatest guy you know i'm sure i'm sure uh, i don't know barack obama when he was president like even if he was doing a great job or something he'll have people like i don't know throwing lawsuits at him or this or that or you know some some i don't know like yeah whenever you're successful you always have more and more people dislike you it can partly be through jealousy partly be through um because there can be like people can find money out of it you know if somebody owns a somebody owns a supermarket and then i don't know a, a kid's not looking uh, sorry um, a mum's not looking at their kid while she's buying something and the kid slips on the grape or something and it, there's always lawsuits against the against the, the supermarket you know for this grape that's fallen off the floor you know or something like that and then so then they end up putting a carpet on the on the supermarket and then in front of the carpet you have to put a sign and they walk into the sign and anyway there's always it, <clears throat> it surprised me at the Collins Cup the uh, I remember watching the press conference and there was for people who don't know what we're talking about there was you were racing against um, Lionel Sanders and Sam Long in your matchup yeah. and there'd been a there'd been some bands beforehand and and I think you'd basically said I'm not even going to need the, the four minutes out of the water that I'm going to have. I'd beat these guys in a, in a, in a bike and foot race. And, and I remember listening, thinking, well, you know, good for you. You, you, you winding the opposition up and on stage, it looked like Lionel knew the game. Lionel was laughing along and, and he was kind of giving it, well, you know, big talk, you have to back it up. But it surprised me that Sam took it so personally. It seemed, it seemed like there was something that had been said that really, either really triggered him or, or he really took it to heart and and there was almost a moment on stage where I felt like you went hang on mate this is just like I didn't mean to upset you this is just this is yeah, just yeah, part that, that, of the that, game that, that's, that's exactly what happened I mean I just at the end of the day I, I picked on the, the wrong person you know I thought that because he was giving it out to everybody that I could give it to him and that he would throw the ball back you know and we'd have this this banter this rivalry and everybody would believe it and stuff and uh, unfortunately and we could have from a marketing point of view, it could have been it could have been it could have been something that could have dragged on for for years. You know, we're both young athletes and stuff, and people would have watched the sports and know who's going to win between just like they do in in MMA or something. Like nobody nobody gives a gives a monkeys about the sport itself. They just want to see who's going to win between McGregor and Khabib or something like that. And uh, it's, it's not it's not about the sport itself. It's about the rivalries and the characters. And um, so anyway, I wanted to I wanted to kickstart that, but yeah, it just. Maybe, I, yeah, I took it too far, but um, equally the kind of PTO with the media, they're, they're so invested in media and stuff that they, can't, they were kind of pushing me to do it more and more. And um, mm. yeah, it, just, it just got a bit out of hand. So I realized that it really affected him, you know, and I, I, there was a moment where I thought that he was kind of playing on that and kind of trying to show people that he was really affected, even though he wasn't. And maybe it was. And then in which case, that's amazing mind games, because I really got affected by there was a, there was that that one interview where he walked out, which was like two nights before the race or something, where he was just like took it, ripped his microphone off and walked out, and um, he got yeah he was I, I was worried 
sorry I wasn't sleeping at night thinking that like fuck I've I've really hurt his feelings you know and that's not that's not what I wanted you know I I generally do have respect for all my peers you know and like when I was taking banter out of Joe Skipper before Bolton he was giving it back and like there was nothing and I'm, and I'm good mates with him you know there's nothing you know people think we people think we hate each other which is a good thing you know because people will watch a battle between me and Joe Skipper but it's um yeah we just could we didn't manage to build that out, out of uh, Collins Cup. Mm. Did you get to chat with Sam afterwards did you clear the air with him? Uh, we managed to clear the air just before, actually. Um, but then met mostly after Dallas, we met again in Dallas. And um, yeah, um, I think, yeah, I don't know. He, he, he came up and talked to me, but it was just, yeah, it's just not somebody that, that uh, at the moment who I should uh, I should pick on or, or give banter. Um, I also think it's a bit of a cultural thing. You know, us, us Brits, we like a bit of sarcasm, like a bit of banter. And so do the Aussies and so do, I don't know, I'm friends with some Danish people. They also are. And like, it's not, yeah, in America, it's not quite such a big thing, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. All right. So listen, back to, back to Kona then and back to the bike split. I want to know about two things. I want you to talk to me firstly about the aero socks and secondly about the head wheel. Cause that's some, there's some cool innovations going out there. And a lot of my friends are, you know, performance time trialists and they were saying, super smart getting the getting that i don't know what you call them leg guards calf guards yeah well these were um yeah i, I had this idea in the back of my head as well and um i yeah i just I, I in my head it made made much more sense so rather than putting the socks on in t2 if i can have some of the socks that are aero and also breathable and stuff then i can i can stick them on in in t1 and lose the 10 seconds there um I, in an ideal world I, I wanted to have a lead out the swim so that i could have time to put them on um but um yeah so i took the time to put my my socks on there for me it just made it just made more sense and it's just one of them things you know you know it's always the best ideas that they, they almost don't need they don't need explaining is though it's just like why did why did nobody do do that and i feel that people will start doing that um but equally yeah so the, these socks they're not actually they're not actually aero socks they're just uh, running compression socks that the compress right. do for, for um trail running mostly kind of they kind of and they yeah triathletes use them but they would even i've seen triathletes put them on in t2 and use them but they're very good i mean one they protect me from the sun uh two they're like super breathable they're actually like just this really kind of light mesh uh and then three they they tested faster so um yeah just in in, in all in all domains they they just made sense so i i made the decision to put them on uh and now yeah i know uh i know that people are buying them like um like yeah everybody's buying them and people thought they were these prototypes or something but they, they weren't although now i have some better ideas and we will be working on some prototypes so um yeah and same with the head wheel so the head wheel i mean i had nothing to do with that i heard about it and i was like yeah that's it's a great idea you know and uh and why nobody thought about it and um yeah and same there i have another now now this time i do have input in it but i will this year be hopefully racing another prototype which is just some some crazy idea of mine and uh i hope it's one of them things where people will be like why don't we think about that before and um yeah but that head wheel is super clever because and Annie, she put fights the, the the head of head. Um, she put uh, she put I think four or five patents on that wheel. So it's very difficult for any any brand to um, to to yeah to copy that. Nice. Yeah. Um, in terms of growing your profile as a pro, obviously you're really young still. There seems to be two parts to the game these days. There's the there's the race results part of it, but then there's also the 
how do you build your own little social following or slash media empire? Is that yeah. something that you're interested in? Is it something you're working on? Because looking at your Instagram, there seems to be a lot of, I'm going to say unique content. There's you sort of telling the story of your life. Here I am on a road trip with my girlfriend. We're, we're in a hotel in Paris yeah. or wherever. Is that something that you're doing yourself? Have you got a team doing it for you? And is it a conscious decision to try and to grow your little media brand, as it were? Yeah, I think there's, there's probably not two parts. There's probably three parts, I'd say, to like a to triathlete's career. Um, there's like so clearly there's, there's the results and that needs to always stay like the, the priority um, and then from the results you start getting um, money I guess yeah money and budget um, and you, you just you decide how you invest that and there's so part of it part of it is one reinvesting it into your own eco- ecosystem so make sure you're paying your, your coach enough your, your, your masseuse or your doctor or whatever um and just employing people second part i would say is yeah the social media and just create growing your image you know investing so that you grow your image uh and that can be not not just done by social media but also through what you develop with with the the brands and partners that you're working with you know so it might be worth so let's take combrasport as an example rather than negotiating like a, a five grand or ten grand bigger contract I would rather say, okay, I want you to design uh, or release before the World Championships a uh, limited edition laid low uh, jacket, you know, or something. Uh, and that kind of in turn it grows your image, and then it's you that becomes worth more than that five grand originally that you're going to negotiate. So I'm, I'm quite, I'm, I'm big into that. And then lastly, it's investing, just like or making sure financially you're you're stable and have the right setup you know so maybe have i don't know for a tax reasons of this you'll have a certain company that takes actions into the uh, that puts actions into this company and blah 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 and so that's also quite a time-consuming job in fact lately like since Kona, it's probably been the most time-consuming job which is which is a good thing but it's just been so much for me to learn you know i, I keep saying that before Kona, i was like yeah i was um I was a good, I was a good athlete, you know, but, and it's only now that I'm like a professional um, and like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a professional and I, and I have to, I have to be good on so many levels now. I genuinely feel like I've, like I'm having to be a man, you know, not just a boy racing, I guess, um, which is, is exciting. I'm, I'm learning loads of new skill sets, but um, yeah, it's a big, it's a big thing. And so to answer your question, um, yeah, next year I will, I will be employing a videographer and kind of content creator um and and see how that works out but um yeah it's not it's not at all my priority i would say priority is reinvesting in my own ecosystem you know making sure that my team are happy and have got enough to work for me um and then secondly the the, the social media aspect because I, I i still yeah I, I, at the moment if maybe that will change the kind of the balance would go higher to social media once i've achieved what i want in the sport but at the moment i, I haven't so yeah so you mentioned coaching there you grew up with your dad being a professional triathlon coach in the south of france running a triathlon training retreat still coaches you and i know you flew him out to kona tell me a little bit about his reaction to your performance out in kona yeah i mean it was the first time i've ever seen him cry you know from from a result or first time i've seen him cry probably full stop and um yeah it i've won other races and stuff but yeah never he never shed a tear but this was 
this was pretty special because um yeah i mean what what better feeling than having your son i guess uh dominate the race until until he didn't and come second still and beat christian and um yeah i think it was it was just a, just an amazing moment that we'll, we'll never forget and um but equally i have this vision that i really want because there's not both my mum and my brother are um are equally involved in this project you know and i have this vision vision of winning kona with them at the end you know and just having a photo of us four on the finish line before anybody else has arrived there uh, that would be that's what I'm, I'm striving towards and uh yeah that's definitely my motivation look like you shared a, a nice and very genuine moment with gustav when he passed you in the marathon there were echoes of uh, the macarela handshake from i don't know how long ago decade ago i suppose was, was that a conscious thing uh no not at all like generally it wasn't um i mean you're so you're, you're so deep in in suffering you know that you don't really think twice about what you're doing you're just you're just in survival mode and uh it just happened very naturally and even like passing the finish line and stuff i never for an instant thought oh this is going to be one of them like moments that people remember of, of the sport and stuff and it was only only later that i, that I started that people started comparing it to the to Macca's tap with Rayla and um yeah i think it's it's great and it yeah i mean it, there's nothing false about it you know i generally have huge respect for gustav uh he has huge respect for me and uh yeah he passed me and same i didn't even know what he said to me i, I was i was just in the in the zone and he said something like uh i'm proud of you, you know and i only know that from him saying it in other interviews or whatever i don't i didn't know <laughs> like from the from the race i couldn't remember all right so the final question before we wrap this up then can you beat gustav next time you've already proven you can beat christian it seems like he's the he's the one you've got left to prove you can beat do you believe you can beat him? Um, if it, yeah, I mean, I I, I believe uh, here's how I'm going to phrase it. I believe I can swim three or four minutes faster than them. That I can cycle. That I can average about three forty watts and then run a sub two forty marathon and uh, in Kona. Uh, and I think that that will be enough to to win. You know, and I'm not saying it's going to happen tomorrow or or, or not, but um, that's what I'm striving towards um and yeah it's just it's just it might be a slow process you know it might take me five years but I, I, i'm not i'm not too far off and I, I genuinely believe that that performance if i can do that performance that nobody will beat me um so yeah yes I, the answer is yes definitely otherwise i wouldn't otherwise if, if that if i was just satisfied with losing to, to gustav i would just yeah i don't know not sign any more contracts and go and open a coffee shop or something <laughs> You know, I lied to you. I said that was the last question, and it's not. The last question I wanted to ask was: Is it right that you weren't sponsored on the bike this year? Uh, no, technically, I didn't have any contract. No. Um, what happened is after Dallas, uh, they helped me out. Uh, they saw me on a trek, and the guy said, "Oh, do you want do you want uh, one of them fancy trek color schemes for Kona?" And I said, "I'm not too fussed about the color, but I want a bigger size because I couldn't get one of these in France." And uh, yeah, so he he brought me the frame, and we kind of swapped it all over, and the mechanic did a great great job there um and so no uh i was not i was not sponsored and i'm sure lots of people have bought some treks now uh and that's great for them yeah and uh i i will i will be announcing if i will sign with trek or somebody else uh in the near future hopefully start january yeah. oh i was hoping we'd be able to get that announcement on the podcast it's not not for release yet is it not no 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 i know i know a few sneaky people who have, who have found out but um yeah I wouldn't say it's very difficult to dig out the information, but um, I'm not announcing it quite yet. But definitely, 
there's two big partners um, who I will be signing with. Same with the, uh, my running shoe uh, sponsor. So um, yeah, listen out. Listen out for this. All right, nice one. Well, listen, Sam. Thanks very much for coming back on the show and, and joining us. It's been great to hear your story. Congratulations again. It's it's amazing to hear a story of someone who we had on the show three years ago winning a relatively local race and then performing yeah. at the very highest level. And I think there's much more to come in the future for you as well. So uh, yeah. congratulations for us, mate. You said that three years ago that um, there was much more to come and you were the one of the first to believe in that. So, yeah, appreciate it all right guys i hope you really enjoyed that it was uh it was a real pleasure to interview sam again it, it's nice when one of your hunches is right and my hunch three years ago talking to him after his quite astounding debut at lakesman was that he was really one to watch for the future and it's been it's been great to see him climbing the ranks um i think his race at the 70.3 uh sorry his race at the ironman world champs in saint george earlier this year where he was in the the lead pack of five off the bike and and ran really strongly showed that he had that real potential and if he can hold his marathon together he had this ability to put a really amazing race together but i don't i don't think anybody expected sam to put the kind of race together that he did out in kona and to run so strongly and to only be caught with a few miles to go by gustav and to hold off christian what an amazing debut in Kona. I think there's a, a lot more to come from Sam in the future. Um, so you'll have to watch out on his his socials. By the time we publish this, it might be announced who his new bike sponsor and his new run sponsors are. I know that they are significant uh, manufacturers and deals. They're really investing in him and backing him. So those big manufacturers really believe in him as well for the future. So, yeah, great stuff. Really good to catch up with Sam. Thanks very much for your time, Sam. It's uh, it's brilliant for you to come back on. Um, lots of people say that they will come back on the show in the years to come when they become big names. And obviously, it becomes harder and harder for people to make the time to do it as the years go by. So I'm really, really grateful that Sam would do that and come back on to, to speak for our audience. Awesome stuff. Okay, that just about brings us to the end of this week's show. So here are some discount codes and deals for you. PrecisionFuelAndHydration.com. Use the code OA23 for 15% off your first order of electrolytes and fuel products. TeamOxygenetic.com. I think we've got the most comprehensive endurance sports coaching program for busy age groupers. For triathlon, ultra running, duathlon, aqua bike, running, marathon, cycling, sportifs, gravel, ultra swims, swim runs, you name it, we've got you covered. Book a call with me to see if you'd be a good fit for joining the team and let's see how we can best help you achieve your endurance event goals in 2023. There's a link in the show notes. Click that and you can go straight to our calendar for a chat with us. So remember, links in the show notes, you don't have to remember them. And until next week, have a great safe training and racing week. I'm Coach Rob Wilby and you've been listening to the Oxygen Addict Podcast. See ya. See ya.